0: Five, four, three, two, one, zero. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. All engines running, commit off. Good afternoon and welcome to SWAT Radio. It's Doug McCary of His Light Ministries and it is Thursday, January 20th. Hard to believe we are already almost through January of 2022. That's unbelievable. I can't believe it, but I'm glad you're with us today. Whether you're listening here in Jacksonville, Florida on 91.9, 91.7, actually 91.7 in Jacksonville, 91.9 in St. Augustine, and 91.3 up in Folkestone on the lighthouse up in Virginia Beach, Chesapeake and Portsmouth, Virginia, and then on WMER in Meridian, Mississippi. And uh, I'm excited uh, that you are joining us today. We are waiting uh, Dr. Merritt to call in. Uh, she's going to be our guest today. Um, some of you may have remembered her from being uh, on our program before. Dr. Merritt um, was a bio researcher, uh, weapons bio research, and a researcher in the Navy. She was a physician, uh, and they're a surgeon in the Navy, and actually did surgery on my knee when i was a marine captain and uh she is i've known her and uh for a quite a long time and uh i'm excited to have her on again today because with everything going on it just seems like people still don't know what to believe regarding covid uh regarding uh vaccines mask mandates uh you got articles going out about Supreme court justices bickering, which are later debunked that that didn't happen about mask and whether wearing mask or not. You got churches up in Atlanta, Georgia that will not let you come in if you don't have a vaccine card. And so uh, we are, we're living in a very crazy time and I'm excited to get uh, Dr. Merritt's intake uh, really insight on it because You know, one of the things that um, has been happening, I don't know if you've noticed, is uh, with the supply chain issues and even international shipping containers. Now, if you used to, you could get a shipping container to bring something from overseas for about two grand, between two and $3,000. That same container right now, pre COVID, $2,500. Post COVID, $27,000 to get a container to come over here. Um, And people are really having issues getting kind of things. I was talking to uh, one of our uh, sponsors in who also owns a restaurant who said that uh, his price for meat is 50% higher right now to put meat in his uh, menu Uh, you know, where he has like hamburgers or chicken or whatever he's paying 50% more now than he was. And so, Uh, that's just one impact of what we've seen go on for the last two years. And so uh, she has been on our program, like I said before, and about a year and a half or so ago she was on, and she started telling us that her greatest concern over COVID was that the cure would be worse than the disease itself. And she kind of laid out things that would happen and what we were going to see. And all those things that she talked about, or things that's been happening. And so, um, you know, uh, she is a surgeon still. She is a doctor still. So I don't know if she could have had an emergency. She usually is pretty prompt about being on. But um, I texted her, and she hadn't responded back. So we'll just uh, hopefully hopefully she's good and okay, and she'll join us here shortly. But you can go to her website. Uh, she she has a great uh, website website by the way, and she has a a part on there. Uh, It's Dr. Lee Merritt, M-E-R-R-I-T-T dot com, Lee Merritt dot com. You can go to Google and type in the medical rebel as well, (laughs) the medical rebel, and uh, it should come up, Dr. uh, Merritt. Uh, If you just put in medical rebel and go down, you'll see Dr. Lee Merritt dot com. And you can click on that, what take you right to the website. She's got a big banner on there called Important COVID Information. Where to get hydroxychloroquine, where to get ivermectin uh, protocols to be uh, used in case you get something. She's got helpful videos on there. um, And she uh, really has some good information. We have used her protocols in my family. And um, we got COVID last June and uh, uh, followed her protocols. Uh, my daughter did. One of my special needs daughters who had some comorbidities did have to go in the hospital, but she recovered fine. And I'm telling you, for Lori and me, those protocols worked great. And one of the things that she um, really advises now, make sure you have a nebulizer. Uh, make sure um, that, uh, you know, you, if you have, take insulin If you do any of those kind of things because of supply chain shortages, you might want to have a two- to three-month supply of those things and start backing up. In fact, I heard a guy the other day saying, when you go to the grocery store and you buy peanut butter or when you buy staples, things that you use, regular flour, sugar, you might want to buy two when you go. Put one aside for the next couple of times you go because who knows where this is going to lead. But you can go to our website, drleemerritt.com. And one of the really helpful um, uh, articles she has on there is if you scroll down after you click on that red banner, it says what to do for vaccine remorse. What do you do if you've been forced to take the vaccine because of work, you know, because of uh, some other kind of mandate that you've had to You're a contractor with the government? Maybe you're in the military and you've had to take it. Or risk losing your job if you click on what to do for vaccine remorse she goes down there what to do if you're vaccinated and you want to avoid problems side effects that come from the vaccine the way the vaccine affects your body the way it affects your immune system and so she uh, goes through and she talks about things that you can do to help kind of deal with some of those things that might happen going forward. And it's a really helpful site. Again, go to drleemerritt.com That's Lee is L-E-E-M-E-R-R-I-T-T.com. And uh, click on that COVID uh, banner that's on the verse page. It says important COVID information where to get hydroxychloroquine. And then it goes down. Dr. Merritt, by the way, has been making the rounds. She's been on, you know, uh, the day she's been on uh, like Ben Shapiro's podcast, Charlie Kirk's podcast and been out there uh being interviewed by quite a few people because she has been spot on on all of her stuff so I hope she'll be able to call in. She's also got a thing on on her site if you click on that covid about how to calculate the dose of ivermectin uh and uh she's got a uh, doctor um uh, Zelensky out of New York's protocol for early treatment of COVID. In fact, one of her contentions, as well as Dr. Peter McCullough, who's also a guy who's been very, very spot on on the whole COVID intervention thing, is treatment. Not getting treatment to the right people. People have to have treatment, and people being denied treatment. In fact, I was talking to one of our SWAT guys this morning who was telling me, either his brother or brother-in-law, as a missionary down in Mexico, And uh, I was sharing about the fact that, yeah, they're giving away COVID packs, treatment packs to people that, guess what? It includes ivermectin. It includes a pack, and other things that are helpful for treatment because they recognize that getting treatment to people is the key to saving lives. Also in India, the same thing. The vaccine does not save your life. Treatment saves your life. Uh, if, if that hasn't been proven, people who've been vaccinated have died from COVID. But treatment is what is needed in people. And so we need to make sure these people get treatment. And so I really hope that she can join us. Um, you know, like I said, she was usually really prompt about being on. And uh, she is a doctor and she is a surgeon. So who knows? <laughs> you know, emergencies come up. And uh, unfortunately, if she's not able to join us today, you're going to have to listen to me for the rest of the time. But I've got good information, things that have been going on in our world, not the least of which Steve, Steve's our producer. By the way, Steve, thank you for uh, what you do to make uh, what we do possible. Um, But I don't know if uh, you were aware what happened over in London yesterday, but basically London has said we're not, Um, no more mandates no more mask Uh, you you know we're done we're moving on omicron is the sign of the end we're moving on and it's time to move on Uh, and that's really uh, i think a good place to be because what they're realizing is that the vaccines aren't stopping in fact over in israel the head epidemiologist over there who's an advisor to the government on the whole vaccine thing said even four vaccines is not preventing Omicron, you know, which is means the the two shots initially, and then the double booster. And I mean, think about it in history. When do you get four shots for one viral disease? We don't do that. And, um, and so they're saying over there, the best immunity is recovered immunity from the disease itself. So actually what they're actually saying and i don't know if he's going to get on youtube if he'll be allowed on any social media platforms uh with these videos that he's putting out but the head epidemiologist over there is saying that the best immunity that you have for covid is recovered immunity when you have had the covid alpha strain i guess the very first one if you've had that You've got the best T-cells, B-cells that you can have. Now, I want to ask Dr. Merritt a question if she, she joins us. And that what about people who get the vaccine? How does that vaccine affect their immunity? How does the mRNA vaccine affect immunity? How does the J&J uh, vaccine affect immunity? And uh, get her take on that because I'm sure she's, she's up on that. So hopefully when we come back from the break, she'll be here. Um, You're listening to SWAT Radio. Again, a shout-out to the Lighthouse up in Virginia and also to uh, WMER in Meridian, Mississippi. And right after the news, we're going to be right back, and hopefully we'll have Dr. Merritt joining us because I know that's hopefully why you're listening today. I told a lot of people about it, and we'll be right back after the news with more SWAT Radio.
1: This program has the potential to reach millions of men each week.
0: He's a pain if you feel lost. Hey, welcome back to SWAT Radio. Again, it's Doug McCary. And um, unfortunately, uh, Dr. Merritt is uh, unreachable right now, which uh, I hope she's okay. Um, I, uh, I I think she could be dealing with a patient or she just uh, might have had something come up uh Because she's, like like I said before, she's been very prompt, and I just texted her uh, uh, this morning, and she said she was good for today. So um, I just uh, pray everything's okay. I would ask that you pray everything's okay with her. Um, I know she's, like I said, been very outspoken uh, about uh, COVID, and uh, I did want to share some things that uh, I was going to ask her today that are uh, striking to me. About what's been going on. This was just published um, uh, literally um, yesterday. Uh, a lady named Jessica Rose, who is a uh, she's a researcher and actually has her Ph.D. in computational biology, computational biology from Bar Ilan University over in Israel, and uh, she was uh, doing some research because. Uh, you know, she she was writing a paper uh, in this world that she's in, and she decided to wanted to look at adverse reactions after COVID vaccines. That was what she just decided to pursue in writing a paper because people who have PhDs in computational biology <laughs> look for different things to analyze data on, and this was what she decided to do. Uh, she wanted to master some kind of new piece of software that they had created and really analyze what happens to people in the VARES data. And so she uh, co authored this paper based on her analysis. And uh, the company that published um, the academic journal uh, pulled the article. And she reached out to the publisher, and they wouldn't comment on it. And, um, you know, she was really concerned as to why they wouldn't publish it it was valid data it was research she had done she's she's a reputable researcher and uh, this was not the first time she had done anything like this and uh, she you know she, she 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 did not approach the data with an agenda she wasn't trying to find anything she simply analyzed the data that's what she does and um she didn't go in with any questions specifically. She just was looking at data, but she found a disturbing trend. And uh, uh, VAERS, which is the adverse uh, reporting of of any adverse effects post-vaccination, has been around since 1990 to really kind of provide an early warning that there might be a problem with a vaccine. Anybody can submit a report. Uh, The reports are checked to make sure they're not duplicated and they're filed by usually healthcare personnel. And uh, there would usually, in the past, prior to two years ago, be about 40,000 reports a year. That was their normal yearly reporting of VARs. So they would have 40,000 events a year that would be reporting. And typically, they would see several hundred deaths around the world in a year. Well, with the introduction of the COVID vaccines, the VAERS reportings went through the roof. By January 7th of this year, there were over a million reports, a million reports, including 21,000 deaths. Um, Other notable issues were 11,000 heart attacks, 13,000 cases of Bell's palsy over 25,000 cases of myocarditis or pericarditis. And when Rose, the researcher, uh, saw that data, it was alarming. And what was more alarming was that the authorities and the experts dismissed it. They would not address it. They would not even want it to be published or put out there. Now, why is that? I mean, what in the world would they want to suppress that kind of information for? And there was no concern among the authorities and other experts for people who were suffering these adverse effects. And so, um, you know, and you probably, if you've heard anything about Vars, people said, well, it's unverifiable, it's unreliable. But those arguments are irrelevant. Vars was never uh, created to provide definitive answers. It was simply to give a warning that, hey, there's a problem. And there's a lot of safety signals, she says, that are being ignored. Um, She's teamed up with a guy I've mentioned on here before, Dr. Peter McCullough, and uh, they're writing a paper on the VARES reporting of myocarditis in youth. And, by the way, even now, mainstream media and everybody's acknowledging that they're having heart issues in youth as a result of this, the, the myocarditis as a side effect of vaccinations although they always say it's rare but it's not as rare as they lead you to believe in fact as of July 9th of 2020 they found or 2021 they found that there were 559 versus reports of myocarditis 559 97 of those were among children 12 to 15 no other issues no other problems they took the vaccine. Some of them may have been related to COVID itself, which can also cause heart problems, but there were just too many cases to dismiss that the vaccines weren't involved within eight weeks of the first public offering of COVID-19 products to the 12 to 15 year olds, There were 19 times the expected number of myocarditis cases in the vaccinated, uh, vaccination volunteers, uh, uh So, you know, that's just those kind of numbers should raise a flag that it's not that we're saying that it's an absolute, but they should be investigating it. It should be put out there, but they're suppressing it. Why? Why are they suppressing that information? Um, After two weeks on October the 15th, the paper disappeared from the publisher's website that they wrote about it, and it was replaced by a notice of temporary removal. Why do they pull that information? Not only weren't the authors told why, they weren't even informed at all. Rose said, and that's unprecedented in the past. So why are we seeing these things? I said yesterday, uh, my wife was talking to a person that's been in the healthcare industry for a while, and they said we have lo- the healthcare people have lost all credibility, and because of the this kind of stuff, they're not talking about treatment. They're not going back and forth. You have senior hospital administrators telling younger doctors or junior doctors do not prescribe ivermectin. You can't prescribe ivermectin. Don't buy into that nonsense when it's been seen. In fact, over in Uttar Pradesh, India, they have used uh, uh, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine over there, and virtually they haven't had COVID cases. I mean, they've wiped it out over there in that one province. And so when uh, Rose brought this issue up with the publisher, they were first told that the paper was pulled because it wasn't invited. In other words, they didn't solicit it. But Rose said that was shot down as uh, irrelevant by McCullough, who threatened to sue them for breach of contract. The publisher then turned to its terms of use, saying it has the right to refuse any paper for any reason. But Why? Why would they not want this information out there? You have to ask that question, folks. We are living in a time where we are being duped in a lot of ways. We are being misled. We are not given the truth. And and we should be asking the question why. We should be calling our congressmen. We should be calling our senators why they represent us. And we can ask them, why are these medical communities not uh, allowing this information out? Why are the social media communities shutting down things that are true and saying they're false? Why is that happening? We should be asking. That's what congressional oversight should be. They should have oversight. You know, they, they have oversight of the FCC. They control what we say and can't say. There's things that you can't say on air. But as a Christian radio station, there's things that we can't say. If we do, we violate the FCC. And so, but... Um, you know, this is something that, uh, I just was reading. I just was doing a little bit of research to ask Dr. Merritt. I wanted to ask her about, um, this, you know, when, when you're looking at risk benefit analysis, um, especially with experimental products, like a experimental vaccine, you've got to analyze, is the risk worth, you know, um, taking that vaccine is, is there, is there a true benefit? overdoing it because you know originally the mnRNA stuff that technology was used with people dying from cancer and if you're dying from cancer the risk benefit is I'll try anything <laughs> you know I, I mean I'm, I'm I'm at the point where nothing's working so yes but when you got people that 99.99% are going to survive why are you going to introduce things that are having over a million adverse reports because of the vaccine. And, and and listen, we don't even know long-term what the vaccine does. That's another question I had for Dr. Um, Merritt is what happens long-term? Like why, why are they not talking about anything? Are they doing any research as to long-term effects on your T cell, B cells, your immunity system? Like I heard coming out of uh, Germany that, uh, they have they have started to see that you, that people are having what's called vaccine acquired AIDS immuno, immunosuppressed disease, um, you know AIDS, basically vaccine related AIDS. Your your immune system is compromised because of the vaccine. So um, these these are questions that we need to be able to try to um, get to the bottom of, and uh, you know a traditional vaccine uses the whole live or or some kind of pathogen that's weakened but the covid vaccines they use mrna inside of a lipid nanoparticle and you remember when we had dr bridle on from canada who was an epidemiologist researcher up there he said they've had lots of issues with those lipid nanoparticles they've created lots of issues and um you know even rose in her article said the lipid nanoparticles include something called a cationic lipid which are highly toxic and and so pfizer the manufacturer of the most popular covid19 vaccine in many countries addressed this by saying the dose is low enough to make sure there's an acceptable notice the word unacceptable safety margin well who determines what is acceptable i mean how much poison is acceptable in your system you know, I mean, are you okay with taking in a little poison um, to, for a 99.99% survivable viral infection? I don't know. I wish Dr. Merritt was here. I sure would like to ask her. Maybe she can join us soon. Hope so. Y'all take care, and we'll be right back. Now, we will be back after the news. Steve reminded me that the news comes on in the half hour, not the quarter. So, uh, But anyway, we're going to listen to the news, and we'll be right back with more SWAT radio. Stay tuned.
1: Crowd
0: hey, welcome back to SWAT Radio. It's Doug McCary from His Light Ministries. And again, my apologies. I do not know what happened to uh, doc- Dr. Merritt. She is so good, and uh, she has always been uh, very um, prompt about calling in. And uh, she uh, apparently had something come up that I'm, I'm sure I hear about later but uh, I reached out to Dr. Byron Bridal. Uh, Dr. Bridle is a viral immunologist and a professor at the University of Guelph. We've had him on before, um, and he was fantastic in talking about the spike protein and uh, the, the vaccine and stuff. And he said he's going to call in. He does have some meetings, but I'm going to hopefully we'll get him on. Uh, on here in just a second. He's. <laughs> I just called him on the break and said, "Dr. Bridle, uh, would you be willing to uh, call in because we have some questions?" And Dr. Merritt was supposed to be on, and uh, he graciously said he would. So uh, he is um, probably uh, just texted him the number to call in. He was trying to get ready for some meetings and uh, said he would join us. So uh, hopefully, we'll at least get a couple of the questions answered. That. Um, that we had having, you know, uh, sent in some people had sent in questions for Dr. Merritt and, uh, Dr. Bridal, if you have not heard of him, he is, he is a, like I said, a viral immunologist, uh, and got his PhD up it, and he's a professor at the university of Guelph. And, uh, he said, we made a big mistake when he was talking about the, uh, the, the vaccine for the with spike protein. He said, we didn't realize it until now. We thought the spike protein was a great target antigen, and uh, and so i I'm really hoping he can join us here in a second, and we'll be able to ask him about um, about this uh, <laughs> about the uh, spike protein, about the vaccine and everything, and um, hopefully I, I I sent the right stuff hopefully yeah he's calling in now i see this the phone number so uh man that's good he he rescues me (laughs) for all you listeners out there in uh, virginia mississippi and uh, stuff you're going okay we're we're glad we don't have to listen to doug talk about uh vaccine stuff let me talk about the bible i want to get these other medical uh experts on um dr bridle are you with us now i am Dr Bridal thank you you are a lifesaver in a lot of different ways so thank you for joining us today uh, Dr. Merritt was supposed to join us and I just I just read a quote that uh, you, you said uh, that you said we made a mistake that we thought the spike protein was a great target antigen what is what do you mean by that
1: uh, Well the way vaccines work uh, Doug, is that uh, they're designed to uh, trick the immune system into thinking there's an infection when there actually isn't. And the whole idea is there's supposed to be a tool to allow our immune system to do, um, to mount a response against a pathogen without having to experience the disease. And the idea is that then when we do see the pathogen, uh, the pathogen for the first time, in this case, sars coronavirus 2 our body thinks it's the second time it's seen it. And because when we first see something, we develop immunological memory, we would normally respond very quickly and very robustly, such that our bodies can clear the SARS-CoV-2 before we get sick. Mm. So that means you have to have a target. You have to show the immune system something that's associated with sars coronavirus 2 mm. In this case, the target that was selected was a spike protein. And the reason is, is that spike protein is what the virus uses to grab onto our cells and infect us. Mm. And so the idea was that if we could generate antibodies against that spike protein, it would prevent the virus from being able to latch on to our cells, and therefore we would not get infected, and we would not experience disease.
0: Well, in your history of research of uh, epidemiology and viral, uh, you know, infections and dealing with that, have you ever seen uh, a virus that required four boosters or vaccines to treat, like this one?
1: No. Uh, Not at all. Uh, So I I am a vaccinologist. I I have a lot of expertise and training in immunology and virology, and I apply that expertise to the development of vaccines. And I can tell you, as somebody who does this, these these uh, messenger RNA, um, you know, inoculations that we're providing, uh, they are, as as far as I've been able to assess uh, so far, the technology is not impressive. Uh, if, we call it, if we were to call these vaccines, they are extremely poor quality vaccines, and um, and, and and there's uh, some reasons for that. So, just let me highlight uh, because a lot of people right now are are, are dealing with the uh, challenge of vaccine mandates when it comes to these COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, so there's two things we have to understand. One is that the the very definition of a vaccine had to be altered not all that long ago in order to accommodate. These COVID nineteen inoculations uh, being classified as vaccines, and uh, and then the other thing we have to keep in mind is just as you pointed out, um, every previously mandated vaccine is fundamentally different from these ones. Fundamentally different. There is no comparison, and what I mean by that is, uh, you know, if you think of the childhood vaccines that um, that most of us get, uh, these are often mandated in most countries, and the, the difference is. When somebody gets, uh, you know, sort of a traditional vaccine technology, which is uh, what, what all of our former, you know, and currently mandated vaccines are, these, they actually provide protection and robust protection and long-lasting protection. The, the purpose of a vaccine, uh, you know, the ideal vaccine is not designed to blunt the most severe forms of disease it's actually designed to ideally prevent disease and, importantly, prevent transmission. Mm. And so our, our mandated vaccines accomplish that uh, by and large. And, and one example uh, of, of what, what was, you know, what falls under the classic definition of a vaccine that I like to use as an example, because I think it helps people uh perceive the difference, the fundamental difference between these COVID-19 inoculations we're currently using and, uh, you know, traditional vaccine technologies. And that's vaccines for travel. So let's say, for example, somebody wants to travel to an exotic location. Mm-hmm. Uh, for many people, they, uh, maybe, maybe they're going to a location where hepatitis B is endemic. Uh, and so a physician, therefore, would recommend that that person, before they travel, uh, that they get a vaccine against hepatitis B. Now, when you think about it, after they get that vaccine, that physician usually uh, wishes that person well on their vacation. And then that person um, will actually pay a lot of money to go on vacation uh, into that location. So they're actually getting vaccinated and they actually pay money to go on vacation in the endemic location, right? They're entering the danger zone. They're going to where the pathogen is. And they do that with confidence. And the physician sends them on that vacation with confidence because that vaccine is going to protect that individual from the disease and it's going to make sure that individual cannot bring that pathogen back when they travel back to the country of origin and transmit it to other individuals. And, uh, and they don't have to worry about necessarily having to race off to that uh, vacation um, imminently because they also know the protection is going to be long-lasting. In contrast, these current COVID-19 inoculations have, uh, I'm sorry, I'll just be blunt about this, but an embarrassingly short um, duration of immunity uh so, again, if you think about it, the, the childhood vaccines that we receive, some people are required to get, uh, uh, I, for example, I was required to get a vaccine against rabies in order to do some of my research because I could come into contact with animal carcasses and the, the context of my research that might be contaminated with the rabies virus. Mm-hmm. Um, many of us have got these vaccines in the past, and you think about it, especially the childhood ones, most of us don't require a booster for the remainder of our entire lives. Mm-hmm. That's how long the immunity lasts. That's how, how durable the immunological memory is. Whereas now we're looking at, uh, well, especially in the context of the Omicron variant that has emerged, data coming out of Israel and other places. In, in Israel, they're, they're already well on their way with fourth doses. And they're showing that um, if there's, the, first of all, the level of protection is abysmally low now. Um, but any protection that is conferred by these injections is incredibly short-lived. Ah, uh, perhaps as little as one month now in the context of the Omicron variant, hmm. uh, and and then as I mentioned, the protection itself it, it doesn't even come close. So remember, I told you the goal is to prevent disease and prevent transmission. Yes. To do that, a vaccine has to confer what we call sterilizing or near-sterilizing immunity, meaning it doesn't allow the virus to uh, infect too many cells, it doesn't allow it to uh, replicate efficiently in our body, and that means the virus can never build up to numbers that put us at risk of transferring or transmitting that virus to other people and making them sick. Mm. These vaccines or or these inoculations for COVID-19 don't come close to conferring sterilizing or near-sterilizing immunity. And what we're seeing is, in the context of the Omicron variant, uh, the current batch of uh, again, quotes vaccines that we're using—they're completely out of date in, in the context of the Omicron variant—and it, it is it is doing virtually nothing. Well, I, I'll even I'll even I even have to correct that. Not only is it not not preventing transmission, in many countries, including the United States where you are, and in Canada where I am, and many other countries around the world, we're actually seeing that uh, that that uh, COVID-19 is being di- diagnosed, in fact, predominantly among the, the fully vaccinated right now, such that I actually have concerns that this is evidence of vaccine-enhanced disease or vaccine-enhanced infection. Mm-hmm. So the short answer to your question is no, these current inoculations don't look like look anything like uh, traditional vaccines, uh, and especially those that, that have previously been mandated.
0: Okay, two follow-up questions. The first question is... Uh... Hearing that then, one one listener wants to know then um, why get a Vax from one company and a booster from another? How do they work off each other? Say you get you have a and j but then they tell you you go get a Pfizer booster. I mean, does that even really work? <laughs> I mean, you're telling me that the boosters themselves aren't that good uh, if you probably get them from the same company. But the people are being told to get boosters even though it's a different company.
1: Yeah, it's it's very frustrating. This has not been adequately um, studied. I mean, there have been some studies, but the problem is is the studies are focusing largely on amplifying the antibody responses. And so, uh, yeah, with these boosters, of course, we expect um, to amplify the immune response against the spike protein. But this is always what I like to say: if an immune response, once an immune response is irrelevant. You can boost it to the highest magnitude possible, and it's going to remain irrelevant. And this is, this is the issue right now. The, whether it's whether somebody gets uh, was originally vaccinated with a vaccine from one manufacturer and then gets boosted with the other. So as you mentioned, let's say there, there's a mix and match between the Pfizer and the Moderna. Uh, they're, they're both targeting the spike protein. And the spike proteins that they're targeting are designed based off of the original strain that emerged, the alpha variant, right? The original alpha variant. Yes. And so the issue here is that in the context of in the context of Omicron, as we've progressed, as, as more variants have emerged, these variants have developed more and more mutations in that spike protein that we're targeting with these vaccines. And what I can tell you is the Omicron variant has by far the greatest number of mutations in the spike protein to date. And so uh, what we've been doing, and, um, and I personally believe that the way we have been, uh, the, the types of, of vaccines we're using, the way we're administering them, um, has likely led to a selective pressure that is causing the virus to, over time, evade that spike-specific immunity, such that the Omicron variant now has so many mutations that we can boost the antibody responses to whatever magnitude we want but they're largely irrelevant now in the context of the Omicron variant. And then the other thing is there's a, there's a second part to this, just so your listeners understand the biology, because a lot of people are worried about why the Omicron variant is um, spreading so much, especially among the fully vaccinated. Like I said, it's not even that these vaccines don't seem to be effective anymore. It, it, it actually seems to have predisposed those with the, um, that have been vaccinated. Um, to potentially get uh, infected at a higher rate than those who are unvaccinated. Mm -hmm. And here's some important biology. Uh, So remember I mentioned that that, uh, one of the things you want from these vaccines are antibodies that can bind to the spike protein and prevent it from binding to our cells. Now, this is the thing. The original variants, uh, the reason why they cause very severe, or when they cause very severe disease, and that was in a relatively small subset of people, it was because the virus would migrate deep into the lungs and that's what causes a, a severe disease that we call pneumonia, as opposed to something like bronchitis, which is in the upper airways, right? Yeah. So pneumonia, is that's deep in the lungs, and that's dangerous to have an infection and inflammation there because that's where all of our uh, gas exchange happens. And so in that context, uh, we can get to severe disease. And so these vaccines, uh, one of the mistakes that we've made is, um, and you mentioned originally my comment about the spike protein. We could talk about that as well because I have safety concerns about that. But the fact that we administer these vaccines into the shoulder is a mistake. And the reason is, is when we give a vaccine in, in the muscle, our body is tricked into thinking that the, that the infection is inside the body, right? And, and, there, and what it'll do then is mount what we call systemic response. And so we can get these great antibody responses in the blood. However, the virus infects through the airways, not through the blood. So the only place where, where people who have been vaccinated get uh, any substantial amount of antibodies is in the lower airways. That's why um, there, ha- there has been evidence that they can blunt the severity or, uh, of the worst forms of this disease when, it, when, it, when the virus tries to get down those lower airways. The reason why uh, people who are vaccinated have antibodies in the lower airways is because that, if it thinks that there's a, an infection in the body, we, our body wants to protect all the entry points into the body and the main entry point in the airways is down in the lower lungs where gas exchange takes place and, mm-hmm. it's, and you, if you think about it for oxygen to, to be transferred into our blood it means there's this the ever tiniest little physical barrier between the airspace and the blood vessels and so if a virus is there it can readily get into our blood vessels so if our body thinks there's, a, there's an infection in the body it'll provide some antibodies in those lower air spaces to prevent a virus from getting into the blood but it does not provide proper protection in the upper airways. And here's the, here's the kicker. Omicron, the Omicron variant, it's, uh, the scientific term that we would use is tropism. It's tropism has changed. And what that means is where it infects. So the original variants, once they got into the airways, they like to migrate down to the lower airways, down to the lower lungs where that gas exchange takes place. Omicron doesn't like to do that. Omicron stays in the upper airways. So now you can see why why, why um, these vaccines are not conferring protection against Omicron. So it's for two reasons. The one I already said, which is that the spike-specific immune response is now largely irrelevant in the context of the highly mutated spike protein that Omicron has. But also, Omicron is infecting primarily the upper airways, where people who are vaccinated do not have a good antibody response, anyways. And so as a consequence, they essentially, there's no advantage to the vaccines in terms of Omicron. It can infect those who have been vaccinated. They may have some irrelevant, largely irrelevant antibodies in lower airways. Omicron doesn't go there, which means the virus can infect their upper airways, uh, replicate and be transmitted to other people. So that's why we're seeing no protection conferred by the vaccines. And, uh, and instead, those who have acquired natural immunity after being infected through the airways, in contrast, they'll have a robust immune response in the upper airways. So the key here is, and Omicron represents um, a great example of how people can potentially safely acquire this naturally acquired immunity because because the virus doesn't migrate down into the lower airways. It also seems to be a much less dangerous version of the virus. Mm -hmm. We're seeing, even though we're seeing very high case rates, We're seeing, uh, on average, very low hospitalization rates and very low uh, ICU admissions and certainly very low death rates associated with this virus. There's a disconnect now Mm -hmm. between case numbers and the most severe outcomes of disease. And I like to remind people, because there's a lot of fear about Omicron, but we don't need to be fearful. The common cold is incredibly contagious, but not particularly dangerous. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, Omicron now is behaving much more like a common cold than it is uh, any of the previous variants
0: yeah and you you know you're a person of faith uh we we talked about that before last time and uh you know i i think this whole fear thing you know if people were just saw omicron as more like a cold than the original covid that put all those people in the lower airways in the hospital and icu units i think there would be less fear <laughs> around you know I, as,
1: I, 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 absolutely doug this this to me uh sars coronavirus 2 uh, we, we, in my opinion, this is again my opinion, but I believe that future history books will look at, back at this as, as the most mismanaged crisis of our time. Mm. But sars Coronavirus 2 right now has given, in other words, I, I believe we could have taken a soft landing out of this nosedive that we have been in for two consecutive years now with our, our misguided attempts to micromanage and control this infection. SARS-CoV-2 right now in the context of the Omicron variant has given us a golden opportunity now to implement strategies that we should have implemented two years ago and get out of this. Uh, absolutely. There should not be the fear. People, And this is what bugs me. It's This is the fault of the media largely and, uh, for some reason, public health officials who know far better, far better. Uh, there's no use focusing on cases because if we put the same spotlight Purely on cases. Remember, the common cold is uh, is also a respiratory infection. And guess what? Most common colds, or many of them, are caused by coronaviruses. Uh-huh. And if we put the spotlight on them and highlighted day in and day out, all day long, on the ticker tapes, on all the news programs, everywhere, uh, cases as they emerged of the cold, you know, the common cold or the flu or you know infections with Norwalk virus or respiratory syncytial virus. Guess what? They would also look very scary. Mm-hmm. right we've never done this before but if we did it we would see that, uh, that we have uh, we have always been living with a lot of respiratory infectious pathogens that are quite contagious and spread and spread among a large numbers of people and if we spotlighted them it would look scary so i just want to assure your listeners this the, the fact that there's a lot of cases right now of omicron that that's not in and of itself a particular concern because as i said again the dangers associated with this are Uh, relatively much lower than any of the previous variants. So I I agree with you, Doug. Fear has been driving uh, a lot of misguided decision-making and causing people, I think, to make a a lot of rash decisions. And we we don't need to be fearful right now of the Omicron variant.
0: Mm. Well, two two follow-up questions real quick. One, when we had you on last time, you talked about the mask experiment you did, putting on three masks and how it did not keep out the, um, you know, the 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 small levels of microns. The Omicron variant is is just like a, it's the same thing. Pretty much masks are, are not going to keep you from getting this, are they?
1: Well, well uh, no, so this is the thing. This comes back to this whole idea of, uh, you know, this concept of asymptomatic um, super spreaders, that we have all these healthy people, perfectly healthy people walking around, but have such a lar- high viral load. Of this horrible pathogen, that even though they're not sick, they're going to make everybody else sick. Um, th- this is this is the reality. Uh, we you know we used to call more than two years ago. We used to call asymptomatic people healthy people. Mm-hmm. Now this is this is the reality. This is the science. Can somebody have the virus in their lungs and not be not have signs or symptoms of illness? Yes, of course. We all get you know we're all going to get that initial dose. Uh, a a virus and if our immune system can't immediately clear it from our lungs there's going to be an opportunity for that to replicate and if our immune system uh, doesn't win that initial battle it can take up to you know a week to two weeks before the more powerful components of our immune system kick in and clear the infection and what will happen is then after after a day two days a few days the virus will be winning the battle it will increase in number in our lungs and that's when our body will start uh, using some basic protective mechanisms such as coughing and sneezing where we'll get the mucus production, uh, extra mucus production in the lungs, which helps uh, soak up those virus particles. And then we, we actually have these little hairs in our lungs that push, help push that mucus up. And that's what causes us to get, you know, the, the phlegm and mucus in our, in our throat and we cough it up or we sneeze. And that's a way of physically clearing the virus from our body. Mm. So this is the key. Um, when people initially have that virus replicating, it has to replicate to quite a large number before we have enough of the virus to transmit to other people. It's not a case of, you know, if we sneeze out one viral particle, we're going to infect somebody. There's a threshold dose that has to be delivered to somebody for them to be able to get uh, an infection. So we have to keep that in mind. And then the other thing is, uh, again, there has to be that, trans- that-, that transmission of the virus. Mm-hmm. So this is the thing. Traditionally, the masks can do a good job, well, a decent job of stopping the large water particles that we would uh, put out if we cough and sneeze. And so simply, if people are sick, they shouldn't go around other people. I mean, that's just good common uh, public uh, hygiene, at any time in our lives, right? Yes. Uh, if we could, because let's face it, if we have the flu and we're coughing and sneezing, we, we also should, we, we should be going into work uh, with the flu or, or sending our kids with the flu into school. The flu is certainly much more dangerous to kids than SARS coronavirus 2 is. So to me, that's just uh, common sense. If, if, you, if you're clearly sniffing, coughing, sneezing, that, and have clear signs of sickness, stay home. Stay away from other people. Uh, we'll all live healthier lives. Yes. Um, and then when it comes to if you are coughing and sneezing, those, that's when those masks can do something. But again, in the context of SARS coronavirus too, everybody's doing their health checks each day. If they, if they have any of those things, they're not supposed to be going outside. Uh, and So what we're doing is we're ta- we're, when the, we're masking people is we're asking asymptomatic slash healthy people to put the masks on when they go outside. Now, if they aren't actively sneezing and coughing, then there's no large water droplets for those masks to capture. And then in theory, the only way the virus could possibly get out of the person's lungs when they're not coughing and sneezing is with these tiny little aerosols that come out. And these masks are not designed to stop those aerosols at all. Um, and, and so that's, that's the idea, uh, Doug, is, is to, to me, the masks only makes sense when somebody's actively coughing and sneezing. And they shouldn't be around other people anyways. You know, I guess if somebody absolutely had to go into work when they're sick, this is I'm just talking about any time, if you have a cold or if you have a flu. Uh, sure, if you're actively sneezing and coughing, you have to go around other people, then wear the mask, and that'll stop those large water droplets.
0: Well, hopefully, uh, But otherwise,
1: if, if you're healthy, if you're healthy, I don't see the point, honestly.
0: Well, hopefully the rest of the world will follow London, who says face masks no longer mandatory in public places and schools and covid passports are going to be dropped and hopefully you know that what what they said uh, boris johnson said we we now have to move on and uh i just appreciate your work uh and what you do i do have a question that i know we don't have time because we only have one minute left but i would like to send you an article are you familiar with alex berenson at all dr bryan okay he had a question for a viral immunologist that he wants to sort through about uh, T-cell response post Omicron and vaccination. Will vaccines hinder the development of natural immunity? I want to send you that, and and maybe I don't know if you can respond to it by email later. But uh, I'm I'm curious to understand that, and maybe share with our listeners that question as well. Okay.
1: Could I give you a 20-second answer right now? Yes, sir. 20 seconds. Go. Uh, what, we, what, we, what, yeah, what the science does sh- tell us is that these vaccines are fundamentally changing the nature of our natural immune response to the virus. Uh, what, what we don't know right now uh, definitively is whether that's in a good way, bad way, or a neutral way, but it is changing it. And like I said, when I see things like uh, the Omicron preferentially infecting the double vaccinated, that is real-world data suggesting that it might be altering our natural responses. Okay. In, hey, in a we gotta way. go. Thank,
0: Thank you, Doctor Bridle. Appreciate Radio
1: so much. This week, and would like to hear any show in its entirety. Then go to SWATRadio.com. Click on past shows where you can listen to the broadcast. Also, if you're looking for a band of brothers that gather around God's word to be a part of, then go to SWATRadio.com and email one of our hosts, and they can get you plugged in to one of the local SWAT Bible studies. Tune in next time to explore how SWAT Radio is strengthening spirit.